Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast, brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm Sky Cassidy. We've got uh, co-host Carla Joe Helms here with us. Hi, guys. And today we'll be talking with Daniel Burstein of Mech Labs and uh, also Marketing Sherpa about conversion consistency and how important that is. We're going to get into that uh, in-depth, how-tos, why it's important, what it means, all that kind of stuff. But uh, Daniel's the Senior Director of Content and Marketing over at Marketing Sherpa and Mech Labs Institute. And uh, if you're not already familiar with Marketing Sherpa, you should definitely check that out. Great resource for marketers. We'll get into a little bit more of that uh, later on. But Daniel, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And I love this conversion consistency. Is that what the buzz? I mean, that's like, a, this seems like this, you know, great big news flash buzzword. Well, you guys came up with that very quippy way to talk about it. We talk about <laughs> it in a very, very boring way. We call it a methodology, right? Hmm. So kind of as we were talking about, so, so I live here in Jacksonville, Florida, and right across the street from me just happens to be the worldwide global headquarters of Johnson & Johnson AccuView Vistacon contact lenses. And they contact lenses send them all over the world. Do you wear now, them? They, I, I do wear them. I'm not wearing them right now, obviously, <laughs> because just I work from home. <laughs> because I work from home and nobody sees me. Right. But, but when I go out and venture into the world in those rare times these days, yeah, I, I, I wear those contact lenses. And this is the reason why I wear those contact lenses. Tell us. Because when I put them in in the morning, they work, right? They so do. They don't have a 5% conversion rate. They don't have a 10% <laughs> conversion rate, not even a 50% conversion rate, right? It's like 99.9999%. And the reason why is not because across the street, they just have this manufacturing line with all these all-star manufacturers. I'm sure, sure they're great, but they have a consistent methodology for how they produce their contact lenses. So no matter who's working that assembly line, no matter who's you know formulating the different uh, chemical makeup of the plastic, they know there's gonna be a quality contact lens. And in marketing, not so much, right? From my experience in Sky and KJ, you can tell me, working at ad agencies, working in marketing departments, you got some marketers that have that golden gut and they just get it. They just get the customer. They just have the way to say it. And other marketers, maybe they're more inexperienced. Maybe they're, they're less you know, used to that industry. They, they just don't have it as much. And so you don't have that consistency of performance. Right. Interesting. True. But also you say some have that golden gut. I would say some marketers have like these flashes of brilliance, but they're not consistent with it. And you kind of, you'd rather go with the consistent. I mean, Florida, we just had the Super Bowl. You got one guy who's incredibly consistent and the other guy who's, well, I wouldn't even say flashes of brilliance. He has constant brilliance, but consistency wins. Like uh, one of my sayings. Why does that guy have consistency? I guess he works really hard at it. TB12, right? TB12. He has his methodology. Yeah, he does have his methodology. Yes. Well, you know, I was going to say some of the reasons why you have this crapshoot with the you know, particular marketers is because they're not grounded in some sort of like foundational basics or rudiments, right? Like your process. They don't have a patented repeatable methodology. And there's this <laughs> well, yeah. to the boring words that you guys use. Um, right. So you can be the sixth round draft pick 199 overall, the, the backup quarterback who really people didn't think had the athletic ability, but with that consistent methodology, you can be where he's wearing what seven rings now. <laughs> He needs three more for three more fingers. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Or just lose three fingers and he's good. Either way. Yeah. Um, I still so, like conversion consistency. I yeah, think that one that... of my sayings I've, I've had around the office for quite a while um, is that excellence is consistent competence. I try to let people know, like, stop trying to be amazing. You know, like, that's not how you're going to be excellent. You just have to be competent 
over and over and over and over again. And eventually you build up a body of work that people don't know how you did it. And you're like, no, I didn't do one or two amazing things and win a Nobel prize. Like I was just consistent every day, getting the work done. And it seems yep. like that's kind of what your conversion consistency is. And, and it made me think like, is it more important to be consistent than, than to perform highly? Like with your contact lenses, if there was a contact lens that was 50% better, allowed you to see even more clear, but it only worked half the time or worked like one I in 10 times at a lens that didn't work, that you wouldn't go with that. Yeah, and that, I think you're getting to the point of how you set up your marketing department, right? So are you setting it up for, like you said, flashes of brilliance? Or are you setting it up for a way to constantly, what it really gets back to is learning about a customer and using that customer learning to fuel what you're doing in the marketing department. Because those flashes of brilliance, I've had, I'm sure you guys have had them, right? I've been out in the world that's like, aha, I get it. I get this product, something I didn't get before. And it's such a beautiful thing when it happens. You just feel like a genius, you know? But if you have a consistent way to learn about the customer, to think through the customer's mind, to put yourself in the customer's shoes, and to go back and then deliver, ultimately deliver value to the customer, because that's our job at the end of the day, then you're going to, you know, perform better. But it sounds boring. Methodology sounds boring, right? It's not as well, flashy as AI or whatever. Tom else. Brady sounds boring. Like consistency isn't <laughs> exciting, except for you get all the freaking rings and the glamour and everything. So what do you want to do? Win or be flashy? <laughs> Pick one. Exactly. Um, so I want to jump back here because the listeners, I feel like are saying, okay, but what the sure. hell are you guys talk? Of course, this all sounds good. They always yada, say yada. that. What the hell are you guys but talking about? Can you, <laughs> can you, I thought this was a sports podcast. What are we listening to? <laughs> <laughs> um, conversion, can you kind of define for them what conversion? It sounds like a sales thing. Why are we talking about conversion on a marketing podcast? What is it we're even talking about here? Yeah, so conversion is simply anything you would like the customer to do. So a conversion, when you we're used to sales conversion hearing that, but you're saying, hey, do they open the email? What's your email open yeah. conversion rate? Exactly. So if you step back and think about what the definition of conversion is, and not just just a you know, customer, anyone, if you think what what is the definition of conversion, right? When ice goes to water, you're changing from one state to another. That's what a conversion is. So yes, if you have someone visit your website and your goal is to get them to sign up to your email newsletter, the conversion is getting from not being an email subscriber to being an email subscriber. If right. you have someone who is not your customer and you want them to be your customer, that that's also it's a bigger conversion go from not owning a car to owning a car, but it even works in real life. So for example, Sky, it looks like you are going to rob a bank or maybe a jewelry store after this. You're just going to pull that down. Yeah. Right? I have so, a logo on this, but I realize maybe some of the listeners will hate that team. I don't even know what team it is. It was given. <laughs> I turned it around and now I look like a generic robber. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you're planning a jewel heist after this podcast and you need a getaway driver, your conversion might be to me trying to convince me to go from not being your getaway driver to being your getaway driver. Right. So really, it's a fancy word, but it happens every day in life, right? So it's it a little baby someone on a date. Every little baby step in marketing is a conversion to down the pipeline, every step down the pipeline. You're also defining what those conversions are, right? Right. It, so it's a little baby steps and it's also the big step. It's anytime mm -hmm. you're getting someone from one state to another, not any step, subscriber baby to subscriber. step, big step, whatever. Not purchasing to purchasing. That is a conversion. Right. right. Okay. Okay, so conversion consistency. We're just we're you're, and the and the methodology is what we really want to dig into here. Um, you guys have this repeatable methodology that you practice there uh, to to take your conversions from are we going to convert something whatever the step is to to some consistency. Now is that a process that that um, Mech Labs 
it's either Mech Labs process or a Marketing Sherpa process, or are those two things interchangeable? So, well, Flint McLaughlin is our founder. He's been doing this for well over two decades, you know, the very early days man. of the internet. That's, that's a superhero. Flint McLaughlin, come on. That's Flint, in the Simpsons. <laughs> Flint McLaughlin, yes. My daughter thinks it's hilarious. That it's Flint McLaughlin, Flint. you might know me from movies such as. It sounds like that. <laughs> he actually has a background in TV production. Which that's awesome. It. So and he's one of the pioneers of reality TV too. But, but anyway, so he, he patented this back in the day based on the, the, the research that MechLabs Institute has been doing. So MechLabs Institute, to be clear, is the parent organization since you were asking of marketing sherpa and marketing experiments where we publish different types of research through it um and yes and, and if you want i can i can briefly describe it we can walk step by step through it at a very high level and we can talk about how it applies to any conversion you're trying to get yes. someone to go out on a date with you tonight yeah so. good let's yeah. do it dates are always good because that you can just you can ad lib in you know a company name instead of a person name and then you have uh <laughs> instead of asking on a date you're asking to uh try come to your webinar try out your demo Exactly. I, like I said, I use this when we would go recruiting at universities to help students understand, okay, what are you going to choose? Why would you say yes to one company and no to another company? So, okay. It's going to sound like a math equation. Again, you I guys love make math. it sound snazzier. It's going to sound boring. Yeah, good. So is this called a heuristic, which is just a thought tool. So I'm going to say it slowly and then we can go step by step. And I'll be your hype man. So you'll say something boring. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel Burst. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> okay, uh, ready? Try, try to hype this up. Okay. okay. C equals 4M plus 3V plus 2I minus F minus 2A. Oh, shit. Say it again. Yeah, say it again. You know what? So, yeah. <laughs> okay. C, C, that, was, C. that was cool. Uh, <laughs> so it again. C, C equals 4M plus 3V plus 2I minus F minus 2A. So All right, now we lost everybody, we so we can talk about I wrote it down. <laughs> C <laughs> equals 4M plus 3B plus 2I minus F minus 2A. That's right. And it's also, what is that? It's also all over the internet. All you have to do is search MechLabs conversion heuristic or MechLabs conversion sequence. It'll pop up everywhere. People use it all over the place. Okay, let's okay. break it down. Should we break it down? Okay, please. Can, can you drop a beat, Sky, while we break it down? Or are we going <laughs> to... Come on. <laughs> so, okay. So C <laughs> equals what you're trying to work towards is the probability of conversion, right? Okay. And so that's, we talked about what a conversion is, but when you're thinking through this, we talk about something called customer first marketing. We've done extensive research, over 2,400 Americans into the power of customer first marketing. We have a lot of data on that. So if C and equals 100, then you're guaranteed a conversion. So you did something wrong because you can't get above kind of like 99%. You can't get above, no. So C, so what it stands for, you're not trying to solve it with a number. So remember, it's a thought tool. It's not an equation. Okay. C is oh. the probability of conversion. So. If you improve these different elements, you're going to improve the probability of conversions. Never going to be, it. like you said, it's never going to be 101. It's never going to be 100. It. But think about it. If you could go from five to seven percent, what does that mean for your bottom line? That's right? kick ass. Right. Yes. So when you're thinking of like we talk about conversion, you're, you you need to think of a customer first conversion. So we marketers, so especially if you're dealing with B2B sales, we've got we've got to meet quota. We've got quarter end numbers. So sometimes we're pushing customers to do things they shouldn't really do. It's not in their best interest. So the first thing you want to do is ask, what is a customer first conversion? Like you said, Sky, sometimes it's a lot of little things. At this step in the process, what do you want them to do? Maybe right. it's just subscribe to an email or download a white paper. Maybe it's not buy a million dollar piece of software, right? Right. What's the next little step towards getting down the funnel? Not only that, what is the next little step that is in the customer's best interest? Because if it doesn't have value for them, you can market the heck out of it, but you're not going to get many of them to sign up. So David Ogilvy, great quote. 
He said, the customer is not an idiot. The customer is your wife. So sometimes we get in a boardroom, we get with clients. <laughs> we think we're so darn clever. Oh, we're going to get them to do this and that. But really at the end of the day, we wouldn't act that way. So what can we do that would actually deliver them value and the company value? Wow. He's really opening himself up to some comebacks there though. Who? Ogilvy? <laughs> oh yeah. I don't know his wife. <laughs> I don't know his wife. Yeah. I think he's smart. So. Okay. So what's the four M? Glad you asked, KJ. So the number in front of each of those uh, letters signifies their importance. It's a multiplier. So four is the biggest number because this, get ready for it, this is the most important factor to increase the probability of conversion. Okay. And that is motivation. So oh. M is motivation. The number one thing you want to do is understand the motivation of the potential customer and tap into that motivation. So motivation is not something you can change. So there are some things we're going to talk about here with your marketing, with your sales, you can change something. You can't change motivation. That motivation is intrinsic to you, KJ. It's intrinsic to you, Scott. So for example, you may not notice, but I don't have that cool black hat on. So I am a hairless male. So I would be very motivated to get a product that actually solved my hair deficiency, right? That's within me. That's just something. Unless your wife me. really likes it the way it is. Unless she does. Yeah, I kind of look like yeah. a rock, right? Yeah. Um, and so that, that's the first thing we want to do. Again, start with the customer. Understand their motivation. There you go. Oh, man, if I could do a mohawk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's some rebel marketing. So that's the first thing you want to do. Understand the motivation of the customer. Do, you know, ever hop on a sales call with someone and they just start talking at you and they're going through their bullet points. So I'll give you an example. Not B2B, but, you know, it's pretty similar. We were getting gutters on our house. And uh, no, sorry, it was siding. It was siding. And the first guy comes along, looks around at the house, doesn't measure anything, whips out, you ever see one of those books, those file folders, have, tells us all about the company and all that stuff, drops a price on us. We're like, okay. The second guy, he sits down with us. He talks to us. Why do you even want siding? Maybe something else would be better, right? He you know, measures everything. He's really kind of getting to know us and understand, and then he gives us a price. Now, the first guy cared about his commission, didn't really care about us, was talking about his company. The second guy was really trying to understand our motivations. Here's the reason we want sign, because maybe if we want it for a different reason, you know what? A different product is better for you. And so think about that first. Don't talk at the customer when you're in a sales call. When you got, you know, when you're working on marketing, don't talk at the customer. First, understand them. And understanding this motivation leads to smart things like personalizing emails, segmenting email, building also products his and timing. Services you know, his needs, right? His when he's ready exactly. to go, that kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Right. You're going to handle a customer differently if they're ready totally. to purchase versus they're in discovery mode, right? So you're right. talking about- um, Are they an influencer or decision maker, right? You're going to handle yeah. them very differently. Right. You're yeah. talking about segmenting and stuff like that. It dawns on me that you know maybe that guy is just going house to house to every door. Hey, what about siding? These people have houses. That's all I know. That's all I need to know. But the more you know, you can say, oh, half these houses, I don't even need to. Maybe they look at the house first and say, looks like they just got new siding. I'm not going to waste my time going trying to pitch them. With marketing, a lot of the knowing their pain points is kind of within the information you have ahead of time, the targeting you have. So you try to, when you, like I said, segment a campaign, you try to say these, this group of people is likely to have this problem. So I'm going to approach them with this. When you don't have the benefit of sitting down and finding out, actually getting the one-to-one -one feedback of what they want, what the problem is, what they need done. So it seems a lot of that is through the targeting, the segmentation to, to kind of uh, target the motive, the likely motivations in, in these cases. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's just, it, but it's also what you're gathering along the way, right? So you ask yourself, every customer touch point is an opportunity to learn about the customer. 
So if, if you have live chat on your website, are you just answering those live chat questions or is your customer service group actually, you know, taking that and segmenting it in some way so you understand what the customer's top concerns are? Are you engaged in A-B testing? Do you just put one email out there or do you test two emails to see what works better with customers? You know, are you looking at your analytics? Are you, are you actually talking and interviewing customers? Where are you getting your source of information about customers? Keep, keep in mind, sales reps can learn a lot from customers, but they can also get a very skewed view, right? So sometimes people don't want to tell sales reps the honest reasons they're not buying. So you have to try to find yeah. other ways like blind surveys. And so really to understand how you can tap into that motivation. Or what they actually need. I mean, I guess, you know, if, if marketing is providing an audience, the wrong audience, then sales is going to be banging their head against the wall. They're going to have terrible conversion rates because they don't have like what these people need isn't, isn't what sales is trying to sell them. So like you were saying, the guy's just trying to sell you what he has. And it's not even like you have the wrong audience. You're, you're filtering the they wrong people. They think that's what they them. need, but it's not what they need. Right. Yeah. Right. And that, and that gets to customer first marketing. So again, we, we have, I can send you some of the data, but we surveyed 2,400 U.S. consumers. They were a, a representative sample of all Americans. And one of the big things they told us is when they felt that the, that the company put the customer's needs first, they were much more likely to be satisfied, not surprisingly, and they were so far more, more likely to buy. So I'll give you yeah. an example that like in our human lives, right? So if my wife asked me to take out the garbage every Sunday and I take it out every Sunday and one day I don't take it out, she probably assumes like, oh, okay, like, you know, hey, something's just going on, right? Something. Right. However, if I consistently don't take it out, consistently do bad things, then she starts to question my motivations. So the same action can happen, right? So for example, a website can go down, your company doesn't deliver software on time, but when they start to question the motivations and when they start to say, hey, is this company really acting in my best interest or is it not? That's when you lose a customer. It seems uh, a big danger there is, so many software as a service companies and they're kind of their whole model is let's not have any customer service. Let's just have people can go and they can buy or not. And we set it up and either they want it or they don't. And then you're, you're kind of pre-setting that if you don't do a lot of this, this work constantly, if you don't basically constantly program in customer service, you're like, you're going to have that problem. You know, I'll tell you the flip side too. So open source software is free. So for example, I used to work with uh, uh, consulting to IBM. IBM, very big company, very expensive software, open source software free. Sometimes people bought from IBM. Oftentimes companies bought from IBM, multi-billion dollar company. Why? What was their motivation, right? The famous line about IBM is no one ever lost their job by buying from IBM, right? That was their motivation. So what happened? Companies like Red Hat came along where they said, hey, you can buy open source software, but you're going to get that same enterprise support from us. The software is still free, but what you're paying for is the services and the support. And what are you really paying for? You're paying for the ability to keep your job, right? right. You didn't just do the open source software by yourself. So again, that's where it gets to really understanding and uncovering. If you are working in accounts, you're working on account-based marketing, right? If you're working with a big enterprise, really mapping out who is in that account, who is a decision maker, who is an influencer, and really trying to get to understand them and know them to understand kind of what are their stated motivations? Good one. What, are their, what are their underlying motivations? Are they- Yeah, you know, that's a really good one for ABM marketing, isn't it? Absolutely. So what's the three B? Sorry, three B. V as in value proposition. So the oh, three B, okay. Got B it. is the force of the value proposition. So this gets into where companies and sales folks can start shaping something, right? The motivation's intrinsic within the customer. You just want to understand it. The value proposition is something that you are communicating out. 
So a forceful value proposition has to have four things. Ready? Yeah. It's got to be appealing. It's got to be credible. It's got to be exclusive. And it's got to be clear. So one place, a lot of companies fall down. They're very good at appealing. Yeah. Right? So for example, going back to my head, if we say, hey, we got the cure for baldness. <laughs> Boom. That's very appealing, right? However, is it very credible, right? So that's where a lot of companies fall down. I'll tell you, I've worked in this industry a long time. The toughest thing when I was a copywriter is going into a meeting with a, with a company and they're saying how awesome and amazing their product is, right? And in, in that meeting, this is what a marketer has to do and even sales folks. You have to be an advocate for the customer. You have to have that uncomfortable position in the company where you don't have the group think, where you think, wait a minute, we think it's amazing, but will anyone else out, anyone else out there think it's amazing? No, because right. if you don't have an, a credible answer to that question, your job as a marketer, you'll fail. Right. A lot of startups have that problem. Uh, I've got a great idea. I'm not going to go out and find out if anybody else is interested. I'm going to start building this and, and then find out nobody else thinks your idea, it gives a crap about your idea. <laughs> well, yeah, here's, here's another great thing that, uh, well, I'll give you two examples. But here's another great thing that startups do. So we conduct something called value proposition workshops where we kind of go, we have a specific methodology, how we go through and help craft and formulate the value proposition with business leaders which not only helps their marketing, but helps them understand how can they create products and services that truly have value in the marketplace. So we're working with one, had a lot of patents, very innovative technology, very impressive. And their challenge was it could work for so many industries, what do they do with it? So we're in the meeting and, you know, we're kind of putting things on the board and talking about it. And, you know, they say that the, the founder said, the chief technology guy actually says, well, the thing is what we have is a Ferrari and no one else in the industry has a Ferrari. They can't park it. And he was pretty proud of himself. And I said, well, a lot more people own bicycles than Ferraris. Right? And <laughs> right. so the challenge is that's what you have to do as a marketer. You have to understand, is that an appealing value proposition? Sometimes people don't want to pay for the Ferrari. A bicycle is enough. So by clearly understanding and communicating that value proposition, you get something effective. Right. So I'll give you another example. This is um, something- Another example of appealing or, or creditable. So I think that that is an example there. But well, two things. One, it, it's maybe not appealing to a broad enough audience. Maybe if you have, if you understand that customer, if you understand the motivations and you get that right niche, maybe it's right to have the Ferrari product. They were going for a mass market product. That wasn't oh, I gotcha. Or you say uh, like, I, I, we have a rocket ship and you're like, great, but I'm not trying to get to the moon. I'm trying to get to the grocery store. Like exactly. Right? <laughs> I don't need then, to buy a then, rocket ship for God's sakes. And that gets into tapping into, into the motivation. So it really so. wasn't appealing for the broader market. So that was an example for appealing. And also it wasn't really creditable to that market either, right? So it hit both of those. Well, it wasn't creditable communicating it that way. So what we had right. to do is break down and look and understand the patents. And actually, and this is something I see often with companies and, and you guys might see it too. Sometimes when you sit with the people in the company, you know, we, we work, if you work inside that company, you work on it in you know, 40, 80 hours a week, whatever, you're so bought in and, and so, so, you know, understanding of it, you understand the value but people outside the company don't. So sometimes where you find that true value as a writer, as a marketer is someplace hidden. And where I found it is, you know, they talked about this great technology, it's patented, so wonderful, but they never really explained how it worked. And I saw an interview with actually, this professor in Oxford, it was like a six minute interview they had, it was buried in all their stuff. And he actually walked through how it worked and it was brilliant. It made sense, a light went off. And so then when you're able to take that and then help them use that in their marketing of actually communicating, that's where the clarity comes in, KJ. Thanks for breaking down the four elements we talked about. Like, are you clearly communicating the value, right? Tesla, Tesla never took out a Super Bowl ad and said, we're super innovative. Hey, everyone, we're super innovative. 
but they are worth more than nine other car companies in the world. Because if you've ever driven one, you walk up to a Tesla, the, the door handles are within the body. You walk up to a Tesla, they just automatically come out of the body, right? That just shows that value proposition. So how can you do that in your marketing? Another thing for value, I was just talking about this the other day. I remember a story of, I think it was ranch dressing. And you could say, hey, we came up, we got this dress, ranch dressing. How are we going to sell this? And it was, it was kind of the, how do you market something to get it to actually sell that's different from the product or, or shifting products when you get something that was a floor cleaner and you, turn, and you start marketing as a mouthwash. But with ranch dressing, <laughs> um, you have, they marketed it in a brilliant way where they didn't market like, hey, it's creamy and smooth and delicious. They just marketed it with, see this bowl of vegetables your kids won't eat? Boom, they're eating it. And so the whole thing was just <laughs> like, we'll eat their vegetables. And it's like, oh, you don't even need to talk about the dressing. Who cares what it is? It's not sugar and my kids will eat it. Awesome. I can get my kids to eat vegetables. That's all I need to know. It's like sometimes the part you work so long on to get whatever just right and all this background stuff to do something, the part the client really cares about, the value for them isn't anything anybody inside your company would care about like or even think about. And they tapped into the right motivation too, right? Yeah. They, the oh, yeah, the that's true. And what's the exclusive part, Daniel? So the exclusive part. So this is where there is a scale. We have a, a visual of this, but think of a scale of commoditization, right? So the ultimate commodity is oil, gas. So what happens when you buy gas? You drive around your neighborhood. That one is uh, 239 and that one is 238. I'll buy 238. That's one level there. So over here is a Tiffany ring. <laughs> so I bought my wife a Tiffany ring. The ring is like white, gold, and diamonds like any other ring, but it honestly costs more than any other ring. Why? Because Tiffany had that element of exclusivity. It was that Tiffany ring. So a brand sometimes can bring that exclusivity, but offering, you know, just one element that someone else can't can sometimes offer that exclusivity, right? So a great example, we were working with um, uh, a, a clinic for uh, people who have different addictions, right? Different addiction treatment, drugs and alcohol and different things. And uh, the challenge they had with their content marketing is that one of their competitors was, May was Mayo Clinic, which is actually located here. So Mayo Clinic, boy, that's great. Great brand, well-respected, amazing content. You know, people definitely know and respect Mayo Clinic, but three locations in the world, right? There's one here in Jacksonville. There's one in Rochester, Minnesota. There's one out in Arizona. So if you are in, uh, you know, Colorado, <laughs> you know, you might be looking at either Mayo Clinic or you might be looking at this, um, you know, treatment center. So their exclusivity was they were the, they were like comparable, you know, they would say to Mayo Clinic in some ways, but they were exclusively in your neighborhood. They were, they were there with you. Um, you know, oh. there, there's many, there's many other, you know, versions too. And that gets to kind of some like, what is that unique factor, that only factor that you can offer that, that no one else can. So makes yeah. it exclusive. Got it. A lot of products don't have the exclusivity or don't have much of it. And another thing that's come up on this show is you can market like your exclusivity can be in your marketing. People create something that isn't really exclusive, except for they're the only one that's highlighting that or talking about that, whether it's a feature or just an aspect of who you are. I mean, look at cars. Cars are all good nowadays. How do they, how do they differentiate themselves? They barely talk about mileage or anything else, or even APR and pricing. It's how much, what do we love? We love puppies. We love this. We, you know, how much do we love people? Uh, they've, they've just gone to like, okay, here's going to be the thing that we're known for other than making a good car since it's kind well, of a commodity. Yeah. And if you can 
build a tribe around that, it can work. But sometimes you really have to make sure that you there's some true value in that. So let me get, let me give you an example. So a case study we did on marketing Sherpa with an online store that sold diamond engagement rings. So you can buy diamond engagement rings a lot of places. But what this store did is, again, it was looking at the motivation of the user. Who's buying diamond engagement rings? It's often a man. Why is he doing that? It's often because he's asking, I guess it could be a woman too, right? But he's asking someone, you're trying to ask someone to marry you. So what, what's going through that person's head? Well, you want to get them to marry you, so you need the ring. But what if I get the wrong ring? Like when I bought a ring for my <laughs> yeah, wife, like I don't, right. I don't know what diamond ring to get. So here's what they did. Brilliant. A pop-up comes up on your website, says borrow, borrow a ring from us. Borrow an engagement ring, use it to propose to your fiance, Damn. give it back, buy the ring she wants. All you got to do is put in your email address. It doesn't even cost anything. This worked, not surprisingly, brilliant for them. Most people didn't even take them up on it. They filled that out. They got the lead information. They became a sales. Like only a third took them up on it. And when they did, they just signed something basic. They borrowed the ring. And then they were almost always likely to become customers. But that's the exclusive part, right? So they spoke to this tribe the of men or guys that actually really was like, I don't know what she's going to want, right? And they made an exclusive offer. There's a hundred um, diamond ring. Yeah. Yes, there's a hundred diamond ring, ring stores, but only at this one will we lend you a ring. Here's the danger I see of that or the brilliance of it all in one. When you're borrowing brilliance a ring to propose with, um, oh, unintended pun there. Or, um, when you're borrowing a ring and to propose with, you're not going to borrow the one that's within your budget. <laughs> but you can't Only borrow you, a ring that's Only this you. big and then buy a smaller, like, oh, of course I'm going to borrow the $20,000 ring. I would hope that the sales rep the would actually advise the guy against it. Like, I, good, I would hope. Good luck. Well, gonna, see see gonna... the look on her face, Sky. Yeah. See the look on her face when you propose with the $20,000 ring and then buy her the $2,000 ring. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> which is part of the brilliance of it too, right? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like you're getting them to commit thinking like, oh, let me just, sure, as long as it doesn't cost anything, but try pulling that back now. Yeah. Pull that rug out and yeah. see what happens. <laughs> okay, Daniel, see, that's leave evil. it to Sky for the commentary here, but actually it's really funny. Are you, so are you married, Sky? I, mean, I don't want to get too personal, but are you I, married? I'm, yes, I'm married. <laughs> That's all I know. I'm okay. like, oh my God, are you I'm married, Sky? If that, if that worked for you, if that worked for you, that's great. I don't think I could have pulled that off. Here, were you married? Here's a $20,000 ring. Okay. Now that you said yes, here's a $2,000 ring. That's why I'm saying the marketing is brilliant because you're sticking them with, yeah. oh, now I got to finance this ring for the next 20 years because I want to impress her on the, on the proposal part. <laughs> and there's no way in hell I can backtrack. Um, that's awesome. I want to, let's finish this equation. Where are we at? The three V's and we got two. Well, wait, wait, we got to get to the clear part of the three V. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's keep rolling. Yeah, I'm keeping us on track. Now we got to go to two I F and two A. So anyway, Uh, what's the clear part? KJ is actually taking notes, guy. Are you taking notes too? KJ? You know what? I have to keep us on track, Daniel. I have to keep us on track. I am supposedly the host, but really I'm the color commentator and KJ takes (laughs) the business. I like it. If we have a rain delay, you're going to do great. So yeah, so clarity, it comes down to really what, when you have a truly strong value proposition, I would argue you don't need some crazy creativity out there. You don't need the dancing monkeys and the, you know, whatever. You just need to clearly communicate that value. You need to get out of the way and communicate that value. And that's what we've seen again and again. So there's this great test we have with, um, uh, there might be a competitor of you guys, I don't think about it, but they, they sell data about- That's okay. Um, they exist. Okay. I, know. I won't name any names, but they, they sell data. <laughs> they sell data 
about uh, you know people who work in businesses. Let's say I'm going to go and with so, Zoom Info since they're like the only one existing left. Days. <laughs> okay. Well, so, or or so DMV, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's a big kind of one names, but they've had a headline: "Searching for the most accurate mailing list, your search is over." Right, and then they go on and talk about that. So that I would argue is not very clear. They're trying to be, they're trying to, hey, catch you, whatever. So what we found out buried on that page was that they actually called and verified each and every one of these data points. And so we changed it to, I forgot what it was, but you know, we spend 125,000 hours each year making sure our data is accurate. Right. That was I, the headline. I remember that page, I've seen it, they're a competitor and it's, uh, they mentioned how many calls they make every year to verify. Yeah, exactly. And that, calls a year. Yeah. that is a lot, I would argue a lot clearer of a way to communicate the value than saying searching for the most accurate mailing list. Because why too, we don't, there's no, there's no credibility there. Of course, it, our, you guys don't advertise and say we have the least, you know, accurate mailing list. <laughs> Every right? day so how do you says our data is accurate and we're all right. the very commodity industry, even if- So how do you clearly communicate next. Yeah. Right. So how do you clearly communicate? Well, we get on the phone and we make sure it's accurate. So you guys are responsible for that, huh? Yeah, that was a good line. Yeah. <laughs> it made a lot of money. <laughs> yep. Okay, good. So we got clear. Let's go to two I. So it's to be clear, it's two. It's two I minus. Uh, it's two I minus F. So I. Oh, two I minus F. Okay, I got that. Yeah, they're together, and this is why they're together. Got because it. Because incentive, incentive. I stands for incentive, and incentive is the most used and abused tactic in marketing and sales. I like okay. to call it the bacon of marketing tactics because, you know. <laughs> If you have, I'm not a good cook. If you have a kale salad, you throw bacon in it, it's going to taste better, right? And so that's what marketers do, they just do incentive. I just had kale salad last night. Now it's a bacon salad, not a kale salad anymore. (laughs) Exactly. And so, so like, I'll give you a great example. So if you remember American car companies, they might still be doing this now, before the Great Recession in 2008, 2009, they were paying you to buy a car, right? Remember? $3,000, $5,000, $7,000. Just buy the damn car. We will give you money. (laughs) And shockingly- that was not a sustainable business practice. And they all went out of business and the government bailed them out, right? And so a lot of companies do this too. They make up for the fact that they don't really have a lot of value or understand the motivation by they'll give you free shipping or they'll throw this in or that in. So incentive, really, and that's why it's against the, the, the friction. It's only meant to be that little extra bit to tip a customer to purchase, to overcome the friction, which we'll get to in a minute, involved in the sale. Oh, it's incentive minus friction. That's right. So just that little, what is that? You know, if they're on the, so the reason that anyone so it's takes the nuts, action, it's the toasted nuts in the kale salad that makes it really yummy. That, That's that like, little extra, when you're doing it right. That little, yeah, when you're doing it right, right. Yeah, yeah, like to get people bit. to eat their greens, right? Exactly. Get, get over the little friction. Like which salad am I going to get? If the one was, you want to be healthy, but the one's just a pile of kale. But if there's a couple bacon bits in here and there, you're like, okay. A couple bacon bits. Now, now I can go for that. Yeah, but if someone's buying only because it's, you know, 50, they get $50 off a $59 product and you're like, hey, I'm selling a ton of stuff here. Like, that, that's not going to work. Mm. Uh, so think of it this way. The only reason we make any decision in life, but the reason I decided to come on this podcast, the reason you decided to purchase a product, we're all looking at the cost and the value, right? Cost isn't all monetary. There are other things. So when the, when the value is more than the cost, we're going to act. When the cost is more than the value, we're not going to act. But if it's pretty close, give them a little incentive to make the value better, they're going to act. So just be careful. That's the biggest caution. Look at your incentives. Why are people purchasing? Are you just abusing those incentives? You're getting towards the end of the quarter. You're just trying to throw in discount, 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 discount to get them to buy. Or are you really delivering value and just need to give them that little extra something? Right. You just keep raising the incentive up. When are they going to buy? When are they going to buy? Never. 
Um, I know, I remember in France, it's weird. They have uh, laws around sales. One, there's at least one time a year where they have mandatory sales. Certain types of industries have to have sales. It's like called the something and sounds better in French, but like sale month or something like that. Um, also, they have a law there that if you have something on sale more than a certain amount of time, you can't say it's on sale anymore because that's now the standard price. They're like, after 60 days, I'm sorry, it's not a sale. It's just the, your regular pricing. That's what it is. You can't 20, just year round say, you know, sale, 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 sale. So, so I don't know if they have this in LA, but it's huge in New York. Is it going out of business? <laughs> oh yeah. Totally. The carpet store. That's always going yeah. out of business. It's been always going out of business, business for 20 years. Piano store yeah. going out of business for 20 years. They were never going. Yeah. France doesn't, they don't let that fly there. They're like, sorry, you can only do that for, for a period of time. And the challenge too, when we talk about how value proposition helps with your margins, which ultimately helps with your profitability and success. When you abuse incentive, customers start becoming desensitized to it, right? Like, sorry, but the magazine yep. industry, like, oh, this is your last chance to get this best deal? Who believes that? Right, you know? it's true. <laughs> well, it becomes the norm. That's what that's what France realized. They're like, hey, it becomes the norm, so let's call it the norm. You, you get used to whatever's out there and that becomes the norm. So if a company's always offering 10%, that becomes their standard price in your mind. You do the math yourself. And now if they're going to actually get you to move, now they have to offer 20 and then 30 and then 40. Yeah. Like it's, uh, you can't so have it, Understand your business and understand the price that you need to make the margins you need to hit the profit numbers you need. So we did the plus two I minus F, right? Yeah, so what's the 2A minus the 2A? Well, let's talk briefly about friction. I will overlook that. Oh, yeah, okay. That's the friction is a negative. So we were talking about the positive. So here are the positive things you can get people to buy. Okay. So you can, you can add value to get people to buy, to get people to act, to get people to convert. You can also remove cost. And that's why there's those minus signs. So friction is a cost. It's not a monetary cost, but there is a cost involved, right? And so friction, we often see this, for example, on a landing page and the form is too long, or sometimes a layout, it's like three columns and you can't get through it. But there's other, other elements of friction in sales processes all the time. So yes. uh, for, we had a, a university graduate program with the university. And so people have to actually go through and fill out the application of the university. Like you can't get around that because you're actually getting into a graduate program. We couldn't change the application. But what we did is we embedded it. What I did is I embedded it onto a page on our website. And then step by step, we walk into the process because the process wasn't clear make it super clear about what's going on and what they needed to do in each step to try to reduce the friction. So one more example I love in real life. I don't know if you guys have Chick-fil-A out, out there on the West Coast. Love Chick-fil-A. Chick you have Chick-fil-A? Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm going to get crappy junk food for my kids. There's a Chick-fil-A <laughs> and a McDonald's, right? I don't like them. I don't like either of them. I don't care. I think they've the got Mc it. I've, I think that company's got it made, right? Like, here's what they do. And here's what they do well. So if you go up to the drive-thru lane, you see McDonald's. I was just thinking line, about that. Yeah. Right. There's a long line. You're talking to the speaker. You're going to be there forever. Chick-fil-A, what do they do? What do they well, do? They, they have people there? out there that are ready to take your order. They confirm it. But the time, I mean, like they move massive amount of people through Chick-fil-A. Mass, so, massive amounts. And what are they doing with that? They're reducing friction in the sales process. Totally. So if you're choosing, I'm going to choose that Chick-fil-A line, even though I don't like either food, because I know that it's going to, I'm not going to speak. Hey, do you ever like do an upsell? You go to the first person, you get your order in and you go, but then, you know, there's somebody else that's make sure you're okay. Have you ever thought about, Hey, we'd like to get a lemonade for our order. Or do you ever have, you, like, I, no, have you tried that? No, but I'm thinking that would work. Right. Are you negotiating <laughs> with Chick-fil-A while in line? No, it's like an upsell <laughs> opportunity. It's like, 
Oh, we're in line. Oh, here's the attendant. You know, you just oh, pass oh, the so attendant. not not the person ordering, but you're saying as the you uh, haven't as even the gotten business, to... once somebody's in line, you might as well upsell them. Well, I'm talking about Chick Fil A, re- right, reducing right. the friction, but they're also making it so you could order more. Right? Yeah, you're there longer. It's right. it's the candy bars in the aisle at the grocery store. If there's no wait in the line, you're gonna buy less candy bars, but make sure they're in line for a little bit so they Chick-fil-A. have an opportunity to buy some candy bars. Yeah. yeah. So friction, okay, I feel like, one. I don't know, myself, I feel like that deserves a larger part in your equation because friction is huge in marketing. People overlook how when you, the more hoops you put in front of people, the less they're going to come down through the, um, through the funnel. And, and obviously you guys have put way more thought into this than I have, but I'm looking at friction and to me and maybe different companies, the equation would be slightly different. You're not exactly going to put out, I mean, one equation is too much for most people. If you put out 20 different equations, you really lost them. Um, but I, I welcome to the big sky. Ready? Here, I got my counterpoint. Ready to hear my counterpoint? <laughs> Go yes. for it. Yeah, yeah. What happens when Apple unleashes a new iPhone? People will camp out, I don't, maybe not as much anymore. People but would they camp used out to. for days. They would camp out for days for an iPhone. Talk about friction. Mm. You could walk into any store. I wouldn't wait two minutes to get the McDonald's over the Chick-fil-A, but people will camp out for days. Why? Because they're so darn motivated and their value proposition is so high. So they will go through the friction. You go to a nightclub, go to an exclusive nightclub. People are waiting outside behind that velvet rope. That's friction, friction, friction. Why? Because they're so darn motivated. You know, they're trying to get something that night <laughs> and there's value proposition in that club. So yes, it's true. Like, Friction is important and it could you know, vary somewhat by companies. But in general, if you've got highly motivated people you're delivering value to, they will jump through hoops of friction. Excellent point. Well, so I sometimes say- Sometimes that friction makes it more scarce, which makes it more valuable, right? Right. So but you bring up another point, KJ. It's friction well, is the- super important, but the other things, if you're killing it on those, the friction doesn't matter. Like people are lining up to get it. So the friction is really only- It's making it more valuable. Yeah, if, if you're- a super commodity and you can't differentiate yourself, if you can't motivate people, if you can't do any of these other things, then all you have is to be as slippery as possible. There's no friction. Um, but as long as but, you kill it in those other areas, up, friction is not nearly as important. Well, yeah, but also it brings up KJ's point that friction, you can choose to dial it up or down. Mm-hmm. So for example, you might decide that you have a sales process where you want a lot of human touch. You want as many leads coming through as possible, as low friction as possible. On the, on the form, just put the email address. That's it. Boom. Get it through. You want people going through. And now you your sales decide. guys hate you. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> but you, you got a lot of them. They're working only on commission. You want them constantly emailing or whatever. On the other side, you might decide, I don't want to invest a lot in the human touch. I only want very, very high, highly qualified leads. So you won't just have an email address in the form. You'll have a phone number. You'll want to know budgets. You'll want to know propensity to buy. You'll ask for a lot more information, more friction, less people filling out the form, but more motivated people, probably higher quality leads. So it's really a business decision on how you use friction. So you're going to get more conversions, but more lower qualified conversions. If you're a dive bar, you don't want to make it difficult for people to come in and have a cover charge and whatnot. But when you're a hot club, having a line of people out front isn't exactly hurting you. It's helping you. I've been to some dive bars where there are lines outside. Yeah, I've walked away from some dive bars with that (laughs) cover charge. It's like, who are you kidding? Cover charge? Come on. You're getting a little heady here. (laughs) All right, right, Daniel, what's the 2A? What's the last one? So lastly, two A. Lastly, the uh, KJ, you're keeping us on track. I appreciate. Hell this yeah. So, so lastly, the minus the minus two A is anxiety. So that's another negative element. You want to decrease anxiety. So friction is more of a physical element in the process. There's a long form, something like that. Anxiety is I have some sort of concern about the information. So there might be friction because there's a phone number on there along with other things. I have to put a phone number in. 
but I also will have anxiety about that. When you see a phone number, what do you think? You think, oh, I'm getting a sales call. So if you don't want a sales call, you're you know, less likely to fill out that information. So sometimes there's information you can remove. Sometimes you don't need that phone number. This is a battle between sales and marketing. If they're just downloading a white paper early in the process, maybe you just want their email address to start having a relationship and start talking to them. Ask for their phone number later. Use progressive profiling, right? Um, but sometimes you do need the phone number. You need other information. So then be clear about why you're asking for it. If you need the driver's license number or social security number, right. explain on there why. I was going to say social security number. Driving. If you're signing up for software as a service and they're like, as your user ID, please give us your social security number and mother's maiden name. You're going to be like, whoa, okay. Yeah, I don't need this as bad as I thought I needed it. This sounds fishy now. Well, you know, just like when you're buying exactly. a car, they, they want you to, uh, the anxiety is the, the buyer's remorse at the end. So they make you drive the car off the lot, right? So it removes, you've got that great car, you're in it, you drive it home, much less, much less likely to have that buyer's remorse for that, you know, big ticket. And, and there's many things you can do. Well, there's many things in sales you can do that. So for example, I, I mentioned I was buying a ring for my wife recently. We go to Tiffany and she's very good. My wife's kind of on the fence and she wants it. And she's like, you know what? Here's the great thing because you're buying this was a few months ago, because you're buying now, because it's by the holidays, you have until January 31st to take it back. You can come in, just walk in, give it to us. We'll give you a different size because she wasn't sure of the size. We'll just give you your money back. What you do, great. There was anxiety there. Should I get this ring? Totally reduce the anxiety. We walked out with the ring. So what can you do in that sales process to reduce that anxiety? Yeah, Good a lot of nowadays you, you sign up for the free trial, whatever on their product, and they'll specifically say no credit card needed to sign up. Because you're thinking in your mind, friction and anxiety. I'm going to have to fill out a bunch of stuff. Then they're going to ask me for my credit card. Then they're going to make it impossible to say no once I'm not interested or I'll forget. I'm so going to get a recurring charge that I yeah. forget about. And then tell I'm you going. ahead of time, no credit card needed. So don't worry about falling down this trap of time waste and filling out all these things and then finding out we want your credit card. Exactly. So I just have this one last question on this whole conversion a formula or conversion sequence, as you call it. What are the significant numbers of four, three, two? Yes, again, the numbers show the importance of each element. Motivation is the most important element, which is why okay. it has the highest number, then value proposition, then you know incentive friction and anxiety. Like if you can only do one thing, if you can do one thing, if you can't change it, understand the motivation of the customer. That's gonna be the biggest thing that's gonna change what you, what you Got do. it, okay. So I'm picturing time flies when you're talking about math equations in marketing. But uh, I'm, I'm picturing here, like applying this practically for marketers, they could literally write this equation on a whiteboard um, or the garage wall, depending on where they're working these days, or put a whiteboard on your garage wall. Um, anyway, they could write the equation up there and fill in each of the things, motivation, value, incentive, friction, anxiety, and fill in what are, what do these mean for our company? And maybe you're not going to you know, you're not going to attack every one of them, but if you improve any one of those, it's going to improve your conversion rate. So you can look at them and say, what can we do in this area, this area, this area, this area, um, and, and then kind of piecemeal it out like that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so we call that a conversion index analysis would be a fancy term. So for example, uh, there's a major bank we work with in Canada where they all print out, they all have it up in their cubicles, all have it up in their office, because what are we trying to do here? We're trying to do the most difficult thing in the world, right? We all have this blind spot and that blind spot is our self-interest. And as marketers and sales folks, we wanna sell things. We wanna get it out to the customer. So what we have to do, the customer, they don't care. So we have to do is we kind of, kind of try to bring down that blind spot and try to put ourselves in the customer's shoes. And so the best thing we can do is stop before we're making a landing page, a sales call, an email, whatever you're doing, bringing a product, you stop and you look at it and you say, okay, wait a minute. Do I understand their motivation? Am I communicating value? Is there an incentive I can add? 
Can I reduce friction? Can I reduce anxiety? And really mm. stop and think through, put yourself in the customer's shoes. Wow, you really like memorize though. <laughs> One of the things I've, I've, <laughs> I've talked about once or twice asked in meetings before is, oh, okay, like why did we do that in a particular uh, campaign or whatever it is within a company? And uh, people would be confused sometimes like, oh, you want me to explain this to you? I'm like, no, no, I don't, I don't need to be sold on the why. I need to know you thought about it. And there is a reason, like there was actually consideration that went into each of these steps. So this kind of breaks it out and helps them consider each step. In helping pitch this, I would say to people, to marketers, one, why do this? Because it's your damn job, all right? Now go do it. But secondly, no, secondly, no, you're not stopping for the motivation. Go on. But. Okay. Maybe more importantly, and when you talk about motivation, you're a command and control leader. If you take if you take this uh, equation and you put this up on your wall. Imagine what your boss is going to think when he comes by and see like this is marketing's equals MC squared. Are you going to get that raise or promotion or whatever it is? Or, or are they going to think you're a schmuck? You write something like this on the wall and you start filling in. Your boss is like, this guy's a freaking genius. Well, I don't even know what that means. And you're just like, yeah, that's marketing, baby. I got this. Don't worry about it. No, let me try my pitch. Here's my pitch to tap into motivation. So one, okay. you want to use this because you want to increase the probability of conversion and be more successful. We've run 27, I'm sorry, 20,000 experiments where we've shown that this works over time. So that's one reason you want to use it. But here's the other reason why. So I don't know about you guys. I'm not just a marketer, but I'm a human being. I live in the world. I have kids. I look at myself in the mirror and I want to think that my time on this earth is spent in a somewhat positive way. We live in a capitalist society where everything is driven by choice. And if a customer doesn't choose to buy that product, then all those people that work at that company, guess what? They no longer have a job. So what we can do with this heuristic is we can put ourselves in the customer's shoes. We can better communicate to them the value that all those other people in our company are creating from product development to manufacturing to you know, service people to the people writing the code for the software. And if we do that well, and we find the right motivated customers, we're going to sell that product. We're going to deliver value to them. And everyone in our four walls in our building is going to get to have a job in our capitalist society. So that's my pitch to tap into motivation, Scott. That's technically just, just better. Do it. Just do it because I say so is fine. But it's yeah. technically better than mine. But but if that doesn't work for the people listening, then it'll make you look cool and smart. It's also pretty okay. effective. Daniel, yours is way <laughs> too it. altruistic for Sky. Uh, I just, <laughs> cool and smart. I just want to look cool and smart in the office. That's it. I, I forgot you got the dual heist right after this. So. <laughs> <laughs> All no, right. This is actually a brilliant uh, sequence. It's great. Well done, you guys. Well done. Yeah. So well, uh, like I said, I can't take credit. Flint, Flint McLaughlin, our founder, patented it, uh, you know, a few years ago. And yeah, well done, Flint. Awesome. Now we, we haven't got to, we're, we're coming down towards the end of the episode here. I want to make so much sure for that break. Yeah. So much for that break. <laughs> I told you sometimes we have a really good episode. We just don't even get to a break. Um, sometimes we always have really good episodes. Who am I kidding? But sometimes we forget the break. So marketing Sherpas, I want to talk a little more about that. Give you a chance to talk more about it. Cause for all marketers out there, if you're not already paying attention to marketing Sherpas, you guys put out so much great content for marketers. Can, you. can you talk, a little bit about um, what you guys do there and what you do there? Yeah, so I'll just say at a real big high level, MechLabs Institute is the parent organization. Uh, we deliver training and teach. This is only one of our patented methodologies. We teach the patented methodologies. And we also work directly with companies to help them better understand their customers to improve conversion. We have two publishers. 
One of those is Marketing Sherpa. So in Marketing Sherpa, we go out into the great world of marketers and we're constantly looking for inspirational stories of customer first marketing. So we're trying to find successful things your peers have done. Some of the, some of the things that I'm talking about now, I know that story because I interviewed that marketer in that company about the cool thing they did. We publish it all for free. You go to marketingsherpa.com, sign up for our newsletter. I think last month we did like 57 different case studies within all these articles. Uh, and then on marketingexperiments.com, that's our other publisher. And that's where we talk more about, we have a show and we talk about our more unique methodologies and some of the experimentation we've done through NetLabs. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll have all this in the show notes. Of course, we'll have links to, uh, to both where you can contact Daniel and, um, and marketing Sherpas and marketing experiments and mech labs. And you've got a handful of other things here you gave me. Um, but uh, any, anywhere else you'd like people to be able to find you? Well, I think we'll put your LinkedIn profile link on there if you don't mind. Yeah, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn and Twitter. And like I said, Marketing Sherpa, Marketing Experiments, Mech Labs. We've got tons of social media. You know, feel free to follow us on there as well. And of course, we'll throw the equation into the, uh, the show notes uh, here as well. Anybody wants to go see that. But you really want to break it down and you got this word salad in your head from this episode. But you're like, but I really do want to write that on my wall and look cooler. Um, go check out uh, Marketing or I think you said just Google. No, 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 no. Never look at Marketing Oh, never God. want to do that. We're, don't say that. We're going to edit that <laughs> out. Edit that out. You want to go to marketingsherpa.com. Marketingsherpa.com. It's too. Okay. Thanks a lot, Sky. We'll edit that out. It'll be a bleep out. People wonder. Great stuff. Go there. You want? <laughs> That's getting bleeped out too. All right. All right. So okay. Marketing Sherpa. We will actually. People will say, "Wow, they did bleep things." We don't do that very often. Um, so go check out. Marketing great too. I hope marketing great too. If people find value, they're good. Good, good content, but they'll never hear that because we're bleeping this. So uh, check, check them out for the equation. And again, on the show notes, we'll have it there. And you can find more information on Daniel Burstein on that. Uh, the ifyoumarket.com. Am I saying your, your name right? This whole episode, I'm worried. Um, um, Burstein? Daniel Burstein, yeah. Oh, Burstein, okay. yes, you actually got it. Most people don't. I get a Bernstein or something, but it is, it is Burstein. Sky, Sky, you get points. You get points wow. this time. The end of the show is going to sound like a rap song on the radio. It's just going to be beep, 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 <laughs> beeping out every other word because I'm constantly messing things up. Um, but I got your name right. Fantastic. So check out ifyoumarket.com. We'll have uh, more information on the show notes there. And uh, please share the show. Uh, share it on social media. Share it with your friends. Uh, subscribe to your grandma when she's not looking. You know, every little bit helps. And on behalf of Carla Joe Helms and the Ify Market team and Daniel Burstein of Mech Labs and Marketing Sherpas, Thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will with come. The, wait, with, with the Mech Labs conversion sequence. You market the shit out of it with the Mech Labs conversion sequence equation, they will they come. They will come. Should you find yourself in need of targeted lists for your sales and marketing campaigns, have a look at topdatasearch.com. Our platform lets you quickly and easily search and download lists with email, phone, mailing address, everything you need for your sales and marketing campaigns. So if like many of our clients, you're sick of the high cost, poor data quality, and poor service of your current list provider, go to topdatasearch.com and get a free account, no seat fees, no subscription necessary. You only pay for data when you need it. Use the promo code IFYOUMARKET1000 and get an extra 1,000 free download credits. That's topdatasearch.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.